Hello, mama. I hope you're having a beautiful day and that you're ready to dive into some heavy topics again. We are continuing uh, these episodes about spanking. In the last one, I unpacked my story of how I went from someone that was adamant that I would never in a million years spank my children and I judged anyone that spanked their children and how God brought me to a place where I actually do believe it's what he calls us to. And so I shared my personal story, but there's a lot more to unpack for you. I realized I have to share more than just my personal story because culture screams at us that this is the absolute worst thing you can do. And so we got to dig into some research. We got to dig into some theology to make sure that we're not just basing this on a personal experience of what happened to me. And so I did that research for you. And it was uh, very time taking. It was a lot of work. There's uh, much to read to you, but I hope that it will equip you and I hope it'll challenge you and help you sharpen the sword of the spirit that you have. And um, I'm just excited to share it with you because the Bible is so good. And we need to do everything in our life according to God's word. And if we don't, we're missing out. Truly, I believe like when we when we don't fully and completely align our lives to God's word, we are missing out. We're missing out on his blessings that come from obedience. We're missing out on um, the rule book that he's made for us because he knows how we were made. And so he knows what rules we need to, to live uh, successfully and um, happily and joyfully and healthfully. So I, I want to help you do that. And so um, I've challenged you in the last episode. I challenge you again, wherever you fall on your belief about spanking, um, I invite you to this conversation and I challenge you to stick it out to the end. And I challenge you to go and read the book of Proverbs yourself and then to have some conversations with your pastors and your leaders and figure out what you believe because this is your own journey that you have to go on. But I just felt God call me to this because of the journey he took me on. And so I hope I can spark some good conversation. And I, and I, um, again, challenge you, there's lots of challenging happening, but do not fall into cancel culture. And even if you end up completely disagreeing with me, that is okay. You can still be in this community. You can still receive, uh, from this podcast and hear God speak through it. And we don't have to agree on everything. We're not going to agree on everything. It's actually impossible. And so, um, just stick it out. And I'm so glad you're here, whatever you believe. Um, and I'm excited to dive a little bit deeper. So let's jump in to it. Welcome to the Morning Mama podcast, where it is time to wake up to the life you were created for. Come join me on a journey to heal from your past, craft a healthy, joy-filled life, and discover the gifts and passions inside of you that the world needs. Hi, I'm Brittany, a former marriage and family therapist who is ready to help you grab hold of your courage, step out in faith, and discover that your life can become more than you ever dreamed possible. This is Morning Mama, a place for you to throw off all that has been holding you back and run into true freedom. All right, Mama. So today we are diving deeper into what the Bible actually says about the rod um, so that you can not just hear from my experience, but from God's word. That's where we need to get all of our truth from. So first, I'm just going to read some of the prominent verses um, that stood out to me about the rod. There is many of them. I'm going to read a handful of them. And then we're going to go into what the theologians say, what how people have interpreted this and give you some more context for what these mean. So, 
There's, most of these come from the book of Proverbs. That's why I really want you to go and read it. Proverbs is a is wisdom literature. So it's written by King Solomon. And there is so much good uh, wisdom in there about how to see the world and how to act and what we need to be aware of. So I really encourage it to you to read, not just for parenting, but for just life. And it really just pushes against culture in many ways. Um, so you, you, it's a must read. Um, okay. So first verse is from Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Okay. So we're already seeing like, this is so important. If we spare the rod, we hate our children. Like that's harsh language. Okay. So let's, let's read some more. Uh, Proverbs 29, 15, it says the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. That one really stood out to me because I think, um, in our culture today, now there's a beautiful thing that's happening in our culture where people are pressing in deeper with conversations and, and trying to help their kids learn how to cope with their feelings. But I do believe one of the things that's happening is there's, um, kind of a letting up of expectations. We're kind of just, um, letting the kids be where they're at for their age and their behavior. It's okay. As long as they're not hurting anyone else. And I believe that there's some lack of teaching that's happening and lack of holding these kids to the expectations that God has for all of us. And so I believe, you know, and even there's like uh, this whole mentality we're going to talk about probably in the next episode about time in, like that's kind of like the consequence, I guess, if you will, for, for behavior is time in for the child to, to really reflect on what's going on and what, why they did that and all of that. But it says right here, if the child is left to himself, he brings shame to his mother. And so the child is not going to get to where he needs to go without the mother or the father bringing that correction, bringing that teaching, helping guide him. He's not going to get there on his own. It says it right here, that in God's word. Um, and we know that all humans are innately sinners. And so it makes sense. They wouldn't get to the right conclusion on their own because uh, on their own, it's going to lead to sin. Okay. Another verse, Proverbs 23, 13, it says, do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. Um, this one to me is helpful because it's super clear what's happening. It's super clear what the rod is in this, in this is if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. So it's very clearly talking about a physical action, um, striking him and that he's not going to die from it. Um, so that, that one is helpful for me with that. Um, okay. Another one, Proverbs twenty two fifteen. it says folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it from him. So this is just, again, pointing out that every kid has a heart of rebellion in them. Every kid has this folly, this sin nature bound up in them, but the rod of discipline is what takes that away, what removes it from them, what gives them control over that. So we need to see this clear picture of who our children are and what our, our job is as parents to do. I also like uh, Ephesians 6, 4. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, uh, you know, some of these verses can sound so harsh and you're like, wait, what? What am I supposed to do? A rod? What? And we're going to go into that. But this verse makes it so clear. We are not to provoke our children to anger. And so we aren't to beat them. We aren't to wound them. Like we're not talking about anything done in anger or that's going to physically harm them. That 
would be sinning against them. That would be going against what God calls us to. So that is not what we're talking about. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so even though this verse is from the New Testament, it it is who God is. We are always called to do this. And so we cannot take these verses and, and use it to justify harsh treatment of our kids either. Okay, so those are some verses. Um, if you haven't read Proverbs in a while, you're probably sitting back being like, whoa, I didn't know it was that clear. I didn't know it was that many times. I didn't know, you know, it's, it is kind of shocking when you haven't been there in a while and especially in the context of our culture. So I felt that when I went and read Proverbs, go back and listen to my story. That was one of the things that kind of turned me around and made me um, see that God was calling me to this, that I needed to be obedient to what he said I was supposed to do as a parent. And then this other verse, this is Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. And I just love this just to help us understand discipline in general. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? It says, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I know that's a really long passage, and uh, you know, if you zoned out there, I encourage you to go read it. Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. I know it can be a lot to hear someone read a passage for that long, but it's just this beautiful picture of discipline and how God is the one modeling this to us. And what we're doing as parents is we're just taking up after him. We're, we're, we're doing what he has done with us and we're continuing it with our children. And I think it's so clear too. I love that it's clear about how discipline is supposed to be painful. That is a key element here. And and why I point that out is not just because of spanking, um, but because of any kind of consequences in general. And I believe that where we're at in our parenting culture is we're trying to remove any kind of pain from our kids, including after they've done something wrong. And um, not just in, in spanking, but like, uh, no form of pain, right? Like that's why this time in thing, this, this mentality of like, if your child, I don't know if you have, if you haven't heard of it, it's from, um, Daniel Siegel, we're going to be talking about him and his research, but he has this, uh, perspective that if a kid, uh, has bad behavior, he wouldn't call it sin, but you know, it messes up. Um, then the, the answer is positive discipline. So to give him, um, time in where he can think about what he did and reflect on that. So now I I do believe in the reflection. If you heard my last episode, I really encourage you to go listen to it. You need all of the three to really get the full picture of this. But, um, part of, of spanking and discipline is having, and not just spanking, but any kind of discipline, biblical discipline is having these deep conversations to get to our children's heart, helping them understand themselves and what God calls them to. And so 
That reflection is essential, but they need us for it. And there does need to be a painful component. Whether that's a spanking when they're little or a a different kind of painful consequence later. um, Because that is how we learn. Like if you go through the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, God often gives these painful consequences to us when we sin against him, when we rebel. And that often is what gets us back to him. Like think of Jonah, right? Jonah ran from what God wanted to do. And he got on this ship and there was a crazy storm and he knew it was because of him. And so he had them throw him overboard and there was a a big fish that swallowed him up. Does any of that sound pleasant? No, (laughs) right? So this is who God is. But yet we know that God is loving. We can stand firm, most of us. And and if you can't, like I really encourage you to do that work because that's going to change your whole relationship with God if you're questioning his goodness. Um, And it's okay to question that. I just, you need to continue on that journey and really seek out some answers because there are those answers waiting for you. And there's so much beauty found in that. But if you can get to a point where you fully trust God and his goodness, you know that these moments of pain were only because he loved them. Just like this verse is talking about that he, he disciplines those he loves. And they were painful for a moment, but they yielded fruit. And so our job as parents, something that's lacking in modern parenting is to give painful consequences. Not popular, not fun, seems even wrong because the, the current culture is trying to remove any kind of pain or suffering any kind from our children, even when it's from their own choices and mistakes. So we have to first understand the heart of God and and the purpose of discipline and and what the Bible says about discipline in general. Because remember, it's not just about spanking. It's about uh, a much bigger picture. Usually spanking is just for younger kids and it's not even the fullness for younger kids. It's one small aspect but we've got to understand that if we're going to understand these passages about the rod and, and even help us get to a place where we can have faith to believe in the rod. So now I want to bring in some voices that are much more wise and knowledgeable and have been around a lot longer than I have. Can't just hear one voice. And so I'm going to share with you some different theologians that I have studied in order to help us shed light on these verses. I do think they're pretty clear, but I know there are some people that are interpreting them differently because of our current culture. So first, I want to talk about generally how we need to read the Bible and how we need to be careful about how we are reading the Bible. We can so easily take different passages out of context and use them for evil instead of good. We can take them out of context or out of the way they're supposed to be read and misunderstand them completely. We can almost make it say whatever we want. And this has been proven by current um, movements, if you will, in uh, the modern church uh, with different, different people interpreting different scriptures different ways. And so one of the things we need to do to make sure that we're reading the Bible the right way is first is we need to ask ourselves, how has this text been interpreted over the centuries of time since it's been written? We can't just look at it through our current eyes 
from a, a perspective through a 2022 lens, right? There, this scripture has been around for a long time, far before you came, far before our culture was even present. And so we have to ask ourselves, how has this always been interpreted? And it is not our job to reinterpret it because God is the one that gave us this scripture. He's not going to allow it to be misunderstood for centuries and centuries. And then all of a sudden, 2022, oh, we finally have it figured out. No, we have to read it as if someone that was hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years ago from us, how would they have read it? How would they have understood it? Because if we're just using our own lens, that doesn't work. People thousands of years ago would never see it the same way. And this text was written for all of us, for us now and for us before Jesus and for after Jesus. Like it has been around for longer than we can imagine. So how has this text always been interpreted over time? How would this text have been understood and seen hundreds and thousands of years ago? And remember, I've talked about it a lot recently, but if we think that we are suddenly understanding scripture in a better lens than anyone that came before us, we are guilty of chronological snobbery. It's from C.S. Lewis, and it's this idea that we think we know better because uh, society has advanced and um, we know more things as the culture has moved and time has gone on, but this is not true. This is not how God wrote the Bible. This is not how God would lead civilization because God knows it all. And he gave that to us in his word thousands of years ago. So there's no improvement on it. It is that. And it is amazing. Okay. The next question you need to ask when you're reading the Bible is what do the theologians say? So not only how, how has it been interpreted over centuries. But right now, the current and and the recent theologians, what do they say? There's this modern wave of, like I've said, TikTok theologians who think that they know how to interpret scripture better than someone that has a degree in theology. And they think that they can shed more light on these things because they're woke and they see it from this new perspective. But we have to look at the actual theologians. We are not theologians. We do not have this degree. We have not learned to read scripture. We do not know the original language. We need to rely on theologians that have come before us that know the language, that have studied the word, that have studied how to study the word. We need to read it by genre. We need to read it in context with the other verses around it. We need to read it how it was written and and what it would have meant for that society it was written for. Like there are so many things we need to keep in mind as we're reading it that we don't always have the insight into. Like, do you know the genre of Proverbs or any other book? Maybe you know some of them. That's awesome. But even I, and I've learned a lot of this, but I, I don't always think of that when I'm reading. And so we have to be careful that we don't just take what culture's saying, what feels right, and read scripture through that lens. That's backwards. The last thing is we do not need and we cannot be painting culture's values into the Bible. We 
look at culture through the lens of the Bible, not the other way around. And so these are some of the ways that people have gotten off in reading scripture. And some of these hot topics are areas where there's a lot of uh, talk out there about different perspectives on some of these difficult issues that don't feel good in our current culture. And so I challenge you to make sure that you're reading the Bible right. And if you don't know how to read it right, lean on some people that do. Get a Bible study of someone that you can trust. Dig into what some theologians have talked about. Don't do this alone. Dig into what your pastors say. Okay, so let's do that for a minute. Let's dig into what some of the theologians have said. Now, first of all, I'm going to start off by defining what the rod is. This is from an article I found on thecripplegate.com. This is by Eric Davis. He's a pastor. Um, I don't know if he's specifically a theologian, but all of the theologians I read align with this. I just love the way he phrased it. So I'm going to use what he said. It says, um, the Hebrew the Hebrew word used in context of discipline, and he gives some examples of the verses, all in Proverbs, speak of an object like a club, staff, or a scepter. It was used to describe an instrument either for beating cumin, a weapon, or as a shepherd's implement either to muster or to count sheep or to protect them. Obviously, when it comes to a child's discipline, we are not talking about a weapon. The rod was also used as an instrument for either remedial or penal punishment. As a corrective instrument, it was used for a fool and a son or a daughter, I might add. (laughs) Further, it's worth considering the specificity of the term rod. The Holy Spirit did not give us a general term. For example, it does not say foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child and consequences will remove it from him. If the aforementioned verses said things like penalties, punishment, reprimands, or negative reinforcement, the rod would be open to a variety of arbitrary applications. However, in the context of disciplining children, it is the rod that is mentioned. There is a consequence, but the consequence is specified. Thus, for those who disagree, the burden of responsibility is upon them to demonstrate exegetically and contextually that the rod does not mean the rod. So this is kind of what I was talking about before is making sure we're reading the Bible in the right way. And if and if you don't believe that this is what those scriptures are saying, it is on you. The burden is on you to, to define what that means, but to do it well, right? So that's, that's the sticky place you stand in if you're not wanting to believe this is I really challenge you to figure it out, to dive in until you have that answer. And now I want to go for a minute to another pastor and he wrote this book. I really recommend it. It's very cool. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And it's this guy that grew up in East Africa and he was a shepherd for a while and he was around a lot of shepherds that had very similar um, ways of doing things as they did in the Middle East where, you know, the Psalms were written. And so he has this really cool take and he unpacks Psalm 23, which if you don't remember it, it's a classic. I'm sure you know it. If you've heard it, I'll read it for you to refresh your memory. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy, thy staff, they comfort me. So, and it goes on a little bit longer, but it's this example of the rod and the staff. And so I, one of the ways that we need to read the Bible is in the context of how it would have been understood at that time. Who were these people? Who, how did they see things? What were they doing? How would they understand the word rod? And so it's important to use this to help us to go back to understand. So I'm going to read a few passages from his book. 
First of all, to give you context, it says, To a great extent, the Bible is a collection of books written by men of humble origin, who penned under the guidance of God's Spirit. Much of its terminology and teaching is couched in rural language, dealing with outdoor subjects and natural phenomena. The audience to whom these writings were originally addressed were for the most part themselves simple, nomadic folk familiar with nature and the outdoor life of the countryside about them. Today, this is not the case. Many who either read or study the scriptures in the 20th century come from an urban, man-made environment. City people especially are often unfamiliar with such subjects as livestock, crops, land, fruit, or wildlife. They miss much of the truth taught in God's word because they are not familiar with such things as sheep, wheat, soil, or grapes. Now, I don't know about you guys, if you've ever heard a sermon uh, kind of unpack a passage of scripture, a lot of like the parables of Jesus specifically, I remember, um, I would, you know, glean something from them on my own, but because I didn't have understanding of, you know, what harvesting meant and what the seeds meant and, you know, all these different analogies that were there, but I had to understand uh, what it meant to them. I missed so much. And so when I heard it unpacked, it was like so eye-opening about so much more truth that God was dropping in that because of learning about the culture at that time. So we have to remember that when we read portions of the Bible. He goes on later to say, this book has been developed against a rather unique background, which has perhaps given me a deeper appreciation than most men of what David had in mind when he wrote his beautiful poem. First of all, I grew up and lived in East Africa, surrounded by simple native herders whose customs closely resembled those of their counterparts in the Middle East. Secondly, as a young man, I actually made my own livelihood for about eight years as a sheep owner and sheep rancher. Consequently, I write as one who has firsthand had experience with every phase of sheep management. So I love this. He has lived in this world. He understands what these tools are about. He has watched people. He has lived it. And so this can help us shed some light on what this word rod means. So this is jumping to page 112, and he's describing what the rod is. It says, the rod was in fact an extension of the owner's right arm. It stood as a symbol of his strength, his power, his authority in any serious situation. The rod was what he relied on to safeguard both himself and his flock in danger. And it was furthermore the instrument he used to discipline and correct any wayward sheep that insisted on wandering away. So here it is. This rod, which also is is an extension of the hands, that's why we don't have to use an object to spank, we can use our hands. And I recommend that because of the laws that we have, I definitely recommend using your hand. Because while we want to follow God's laws, we we want to make sure we're being wise. But it, it says it so clearly here that this was an instrument used to discipline and correct the wayward sheep. Just like spanking, right? And I mean, in in this psalm, all of us are sheep, but because we're talking about kids here, we can be reminded of that we are helping shepherd them as sheep. And actually, just uh, my church just had a sermon on this and talking about sheep and how kind of stupid they are. Like they always go off the wrong way. If they were left to themselves, they would eat themselves to death. Um, If they're really, really thirsty, they will charge full force towards a river and just jump, put their head right in into like a rushing river and be sucked down the river. (laughs) So they they just aren't very smart. They're kind of clumsy and 
So we can see ourselves in the sheep and we can see our children in the sheep. And so our job is to shepherd them, is to to use the rod or, or, to guide them and keep them on the path of safety. And that's really what this is all about, is to keep them I love how uh, shepherding a child's heart puts it to keep them in God's like bubble of protection, his circle of protection, because when we sin and we walk away from God, we step out of that circle of protection. Like we see this in scripture when uh, God's kingdom was following him. They had provision and protection and his blessings. But as soon as they, they turned away and, you know, God often gave them many chances to turn back. But as soon as they turned away, they, they left themselves open to battles that they wouldn't wouldn't win and they got conquered often and they didn't have rain and they didn't have the crops and so God's blessings do come with our obedience and so part of us stewarding this with our kids part of us shepherding them is helping them stay inside God's bubble his circle of protection and that is where the safety and the blessings, the protection, the provision comes. And so we want our kids to stay there at whatever means it takes. The book goes on to say, The sheep asserts that the owner's rod, his weapon of power, authority, and defense, is a continuous comfort to him. For with it, the manager is able to carry out effective control of his flock in every situation. And I can just attest to this in my own journey. I think before I felt so helpless and out of control with my, my son's behavior. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to make an appropriate consequence. And the consequences weren't working. And the conversations weren't working. But now that there is a clear consequence that neither of us like, but it is God's way, I do feel that it helps him stay on the path. And I do think in a way he is comforted by it. And it talks a lot here about authority. And as parents, we are called to have this authority over our children. We are in charge. Even if the world says we should be on equal playing fields or, or however they would put it, we are in charge of our kids. And it is our job to teach them what is right and wrong and keep them on that path. Okay, the book goes on, page 114. It says, there is a dimension in which the rod is used by the shepherd for the welfare of his sheep, namely that of discipline. If anything, the club is used for the purpose, perhaps... The club is used for this purpose, perhaps more than any other. I could never get over how often and with what accuracy the African herders would hurl their knob carries, I think that's what they called them, at some beast that misbehaved. If the shepherd saw a sheep wandering away on its own or approaching poisonous weeds or getting too close to danger of some sort or another, the club would go whirling through the air to send the wayward animal scurrying back to the bunch. I love this picture of why we're doing this. Our whole purpose in this is to keep our kids on God's path of safety, that protection, that provision, that blessing. And so why would we abandon something God specifically calls us to? And we can see the description of the rod, the purpose of it. We can see how sometimes it hurts the sheep. Sometimes it is for that discipline. Sometimes it doesn't feel good and it scares them, but it keeps them on that path to keep them safe. And it is all done from this place of love. So I hope that helps you understand this word, the rod, and 
what its meaning is, why we need to see it as physical discipline, and the whole purpose behind it, the heart behind it, to keep our kids on the path of safety. So if you want to look up some more theologians that kind of dive into this, um, some ones that have great articles and and, uh, literature on this is Dobson, Moeller, Wegner, Grudman, and Kostenberger, Kostenberger. And so you can dig into some of those. I'm going to share with you a little bit of what I read, but there's so much more out there if you want to dive in deeper. So this is from um, Paul Wegner. This is from his article, Discipline in the Book of Proverbs, to spank or not to spank. He says, there's little doubt that these verses describe corporal corporal punishment. Having said this, the most important concept this in this verse is that the purpose of discipline is remedial with the hope of saving the child child's life from an early demise due to rebellion. So we have to remember what the whole purpose of this is for. It says, Derek Kidner says, to withhold discipline is neither a compliment nor a kindness, and the opportunity passes. Isn't that scary, moms, to think about? Um, We don't need to be scared, but we need to take this seriously. There will be a time when this opportunity does pass, where we are no longer in charge of our kids. And and maybe your kids are past the spanking age. And so there are different forms of discipline you can use. But when our kids reach teenage years or reach, they, they leave our homes, that's it, right? This is the chance that we get to help save them from a deeper rebellion. We are doing them no favors to spare them from this. He goes on to say, this level of punishment is reserved for the time when other forms of punishment have not been successful and the destructive pattern of sinful behavior still remains. In the ancient Near East, the severity of the punishment was left up to the parent's discretion. It was assumed that the parent administered the discipline in a loving, caring way that was for the benefit of the child. Today, not all all parents administer discipline in this manner, and thus certain professionals are required by law to report suspected child abuse. And so I do you want to mention, and I think it's very clear, this is not child abuse we're talking about. And child abuse is absolutely wrong. And there are people out there that are struggling with this or that are fully deep in sin with this. And there is no condoning of that behavior. Now, I believe in redemption. I believe uh, there can be a turning around. And if that's you, if you've been in that spot or maybe your spouse has, there is hope and redemption But that is not at all what these passages in the Bible are talking about. And I want to be super clear about that. Don't get that wrong. Now, the last thing today that I want to share with you, and in the next episode, we'll unpack all of the current research and the modern thinking and um, shed some light on that and what the Bible says about it and just some um, ways that research might have not been done well. And we'll go there next time. But today, I just want to end by sharing... um, an article that was written in criticism to a theologian. So there is a theologian out there. You can go find him. His name is Webb if you want. And he writes about how uh, the rod is misinterpreted and it shouldn't be used to describe uh, corporal punishment. This is not what it's about. And so this other theologian, Thomas Schreiner, wrote this article in criticism of that and kind of debunking some of the ways that he, uh, the ways that Webb got the Bible wrong, the ways that he didn't do his research well or didn't read the Bible correctly. And it really aligns with what a lot of what we've been talking about today. So I just want to share that with you to just unpack a little bit more. Because if you've hung around this long, it seems like you're a little curious about what to make of this and what the Bible says. 
And I personally have had experience with this where someone, their argument against the rod was that there are things in the Old Testament that we no longer do anymore, like um, stoning a woman who uh, was caught in the act of adultery, or there's some other examples that are going to come up in this article I'm going to read to you. And so their argument was like, oh, well, if we don't do that, then why would we do this anymore? There's, there must be a different way to interpret it. But this article unpacks that because we can't read Proverbs the same way we, we read passages about the Mosaic law. Because when Jesus came, he set us free from the law. So those those old ways of doing things, which really don't make sense to any of us, and I understand that, and so praise God that we don't follow them anymore. <laughs> but we are set free from that. We don't have to abide by that law anymore, but that doesn't mean that we throw out the Proverbs. It's a different genre. It's a different covenant. So let me read this to you. This is Shriner's article, uh, replying to Webb's, I think he has a whole book about his view on the rod. So this is Schreiner. Schreiner says, he never discusses the relationship of the Old Testament to the New Testament in order to help readers understand that believers are no longer under the Mosaic Covenant or the Mosaic Law. Such a discussion is fundamental to the issues Webb addresses, and they deserve concentrated attention if one wants to think about how to apply the Old Testament today. So this is what I'm saying, guys. It's so important how we read the Bible. We have to understand that different parts of scripture are meant to be read differently. And so this is why we can't just jump into the Bible and make our own interpretations about things. He goes on to say, but one looks in vain for a careful discussion of this matter in Webb's book or in his previous work. For instance, he rightly says that Christians reject stoning rebellious children, seizing hot-looking women, he says, or cutting off the hand of a woman who grabs someone's testicles. And he helpfully notes, so these are examples from scripture where they would be stoned. Um, and so he's referencing those and he and he goes on to say and he helpfully notes the cultural differences between the old testament laws and the ancient near eastern cultures of the day but there's no reflection on the covenantal difference between the mosaic covenant under which Israel lived and the new covenant which applies to the church of Jesus Christ Christians have long recognized that the laws of the Torah are not binding on believers today we know this, like circumcision for that matter. Like we all know we don't have to do this. We are no longer bound by those laws. Jesus broke that. And so those those passages about stoning people and all these things, they are part of that Mosaic law that we are no longer bound by. But we are bound by a new covenant in Jesus. But in Proverbs, it's not referencing the Mosaic law. It's wisdom literature, which means it's helping us understand how to see things, understand what to do in circumstances. It's not law, but that doesn't mean we ignore it. It is instruction for how to live, but, but with the law of the Old Testament, we are now freed from it versus the wisdom of the Old Testament. We need to use that still to this day to apply to our lives. And Schreiner goes on to say, he fails to perceive the genre differences between the regulations in the Torah and the proverbial statements, which is in Proverbs. As already noted, he does 
not clearly recognize the redemptive historical nature of the Torah, and he merges and mashes together different genres of literature in drawing his conclusions. Proverbial statements are of a different nature than legal material requiring insight and reflection in terms of application. They shouldn't be equated with punishments in legal contexts. So I know that's kind of heavy reading and it goes super deep, but I want to, first of all, help you hear the voice of some of the theologians that have come before us and come with us to help us really understand this text and just to give you some ideas about how carefully we need to read scripture. And so we can't just take what feels good, what what makes sense in culture, what, what makes sense and feels good to us and make that the truth of what we're reading. We must go through all the proper channels to understand what it is we're reading. And so when we hit challenging passages like these, we've got to make sure that we're reading the Bible properly. So I hope that helps some of you who are on this journey and you love the knowledge and you love digging deep and understanding. I hope it challenges you and inspires you. And I hope uh, it pushes you forward on your journey of figuring out what you believe because only you and God and your leaders can figure that out. I'm just here to share what my journey has been like and share what I have found. Um, Yeah. And so I'm excited to share the last bit of this uh, next episode and unpack uh, what I think of modern research and, and wh- what to do with all of that. So let me just pray for you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can stand firm on it, God, and that it, it passes the test of time, God, that it, it doesn't change. It doesn't shift. It doesn't grow old. It doesn't become not relevant, God. And so I thank you that we have this to stand firm on. And I just pray you would give us more knowledge and wisdom to read it, God. Help us to, to do it well, God, and to do it through your spirit, God. And we, we just trust you and we love you and we praise you for all that you've done in history and in our lives, God. And I just pray for anyone walking on this journey, God, that you would just guide them to some good conversations and some good passages of scripture and you would reveal to them what you want to speak to them, God. We trust you with that, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, Mama. If you found hope and inspiration in today's episode, then hit subscribe. Make sure you don't miss a moment on this journey of healing. Want to help more mamas enter into the hope and freedom you have found? Please take a moment to leave a review. This helps so much to get Morning Mama seen so that more mamas can find this space. Lastly, please come say hi in our Facebook group, Morning Mama Collective. I would love to meet you and learn your story. Let me know where you're getting stuck in your healing journey so that you can help inspire more episodes. I am so grateful for you, Mama, and I cannot wait to see all that God has in store for you. Mama.